Old habits die hard. It's going to be hard to get the, the word morning out of our vocabulary. You did that. Hey, thanks for coming. Um, today's significant. It's like every Sunday seems very significant. Uh, last Sunday was significant. We celebrated the birth of the Lord Jesus through Christmas. And now here we are celebrating New Year's Day. It's pretty awesome. Audrey, you agree with me, right? It's like, it's awesome. So, obviously, we're in a new place. Uh, we're in a new new building. I want to thank God for King's Church, Pastor Chad. Um, you know, we had some decisions to make as a church about the direction we were looking to go. And as much as we were grateful uh, for our time at Metrolina, we praise God for Bob and for Angie and the team there and allowing us to be there for so many uh, years, Todd, when he was there. But that room was just too big, and uh, it just didn't seem like it was where we were at as a church. So this feels very different. Awesome. This feels like a living room. I was telling somebody earlier, this reminds me. Uh, if you didn't know, I was in Boy Scouts for one month. <laughs> and uh, I got kicked out. Yeah, I got kicked out of Boy Scouts. That's surprising. Are you still allowed to do Boy Scouts on if you got kicked out? I don't know, man. But I went on a camp out, and we were smoking cigarettes. Oh, you can't do that if you're in Boy Scouts. And uh, somebody got caught, and they put the blame on me. Oh, and I didn't care being the fall guy. So anyways. But this reminds me of my Boy Scout troop. Uh, minus so, the cigarettes. Yeah, minus the cigarettes and getting kicked out. Everyone's welcome here. No one's going to get kicked out. So, um, so yeah, today's significant. It's New Year's Day. Uh, raise your hand if you stayed up till midnight last night. Okay. Raise your hand if your parents woke you up at midnight and gave you a hug and kiss. Okay, my kids. Um, you know, New Year's is, is synonymous with New Year's resolutions. Right, people want to make improvements in their life. Uh, it's, it's a time to kind of reset, um, and a lot of those changes are good. Whether it's like healthy eating, uh, it is you know hitting the gym, it is being more financially responsible. There's some good changes that we can make, right? Um, but what about when that change that you want to make doesn't happen? Or what about when there's that thing in your life that you really want? that you've been waiting on and it just doesn't happen. You know, you're waiting for your relationship to be reconciled to someone that's hard. Hasn't happened. Working hard at the job only to get passed over to your coworker who's less of a hard worker gets promoted. Maybe in your marriage there's there's a tension that you just want to be lifted and you're praying day and night. Maybe there's a loved one in your home that you've been praying for for years. Just laboring before the Lord in prayer. God, would you, would you bring salvation to fill in the blanks, Nate? And, and it hasn't happened yet. You desired something good for your life or even for someone else, and it just hasn't happened. Whether that's your story today, it was your story yesterday, or will possibly be your story tomorrow. There comes a time in every person's life where we're waiting and we're longing for something and we don't see the result. Alas, our God is faithful. Amen. Amen. Our God is a provider. Amen. And so today's sermon is going to be out of the book of Luke and its title of the sermon is Our Faithful Provider. 
and it's going to be on the screen behind you. You're going to see this. I'm really proud of the, uh, this, I created the slide in Canva, Jim. He's going to put it up there. I normally don't create slides in Canva. I was on my way back. Isn't that nice? Yeah, I was, you know, every now and then I got a little trick in my sleep. But I, but I was looking at this, this book of Luke, and it's this amazing gospel, right? It's, it's so good when we can study the life of Jesus. Like, there's a lot of things we can focus on. We can follow Paul. We can look at his life as he followed Jesus. But, man, to really be able to zoom in on the life of Jesus, there's nothing better, in my opinion. We did the Gospel of Mark a couple years ago. But as I was looking at the Gospel of Luke, I was just seeing the story of God's faithfulness. God's providing for his people, especially from this passage. So if you guys will stand with me, we're going to honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Verses 1 through 25. Okay? I encourage you guys every week, bring your Bible to church. I know it's a, it's a lost art, right? This old, archaic book with pages and stuff. But it's, it's really powerful. It doesn't click. It doesn't notify you when your uh, crypto coin is up or down. Um, it, just, it just is. It's just the Word of God. That's all it is. It's its sole purpose. So, so just as a reminder, bring your Bibles to church. Um. Starting off in verse 1. We go on the screen? All right, we're going to read together. It's 25 verses, so we've got to read loud enough that people online can hear you in the back, Adam. Starting off verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely. Wait, where are we at? Are we good? This is our first time here. Where are we at? Verse 4. Verse 4. Man, we, we skipped some. Verse 3. It seemed good. Are we good on verse 3, Jim? No, I don't have Okay, Jim's, you're, you're not infallible. All right, verse 3. I'll read it out loud. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may certainly have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. But while he was serving as priest before God, when his position was on duty. Keep going. The temple of the Lord and burnt incense. Alright, let's do this. I'll read it out loud because the words on the screen are we're having issues. It's not Jim's fault, it's we're just in a new place. So verse 10, I'm gonna go back. We're in verse 10, right? Okay. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you, shall, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, 
And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at the delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Father, thank you for this text that was inspired and preserved and published for our benefit. I pray, God, that you would take what was spoken through Luke to Theophilus and from Gabriel to Zechariah, and that you would use these words, God, to empower us today, God, to live as your people, called by your spirit, empowered by your grace, God, to go forward and make disciples. We need your help. I need your help. So we ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. All right. So the, the first point, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a, uh, a warning it's very historical. Um, there will be some reading. I'll be reading a lot because it's very important to understand the context. Uh, instead of just jumping into a book where you're just automatically assuming you know everything or you've heard stuff before, it's always good for us to be reminded. First point is uh, our faithful provider, our God faithfully provides a voice, a witness. And that's going to come out of verses 1 through 4. There it is. So... Before we even get to the story of John, we have to understand that there was a thing called the intertestamental period. Uh, there was 400 years, basically, of silence from the last prophet, Malachi, until the, the next prophet, John, John the Baptist. So 400 years of God's people really living in the darkness, waiting to hear from God. These people had not yet received the Messiah, and so they would long to hear the prophets or to understand the prophets before them teaching about the Messiah. They were all waiting for this coming Messiah. 400 years of silence. The political, religious, and social atmosphere of Israel changed significantly over those 400 years. Initially, Israel was under the control of the Persian Empire from about 532 to 332 B.C., the Persians allowed the Jews to practice their religion with little interference. They were even allowed to rebuild and worship at the temple. The, this time of space, uh, this time of space was known for relative peace and contentment, but it would just be the calm before the storm. Prior to the intertestamental period, Alexander the Great defeated Darius of Persia, bringing Greek rule to the world. Alexander was a student of Aristotle and was well educated in Greek philosophy and politics. Alexander required that the Greek culture be promoted in every land that he conquered. And as a result, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into the Greek 
becoming the translation known as Septuagint. As a result, the Hebrew, um, excuse me, most of the New Testament references to the Old Testament scripture use Septuagint phrasing. Alexander did allow religious freedom for the Jews, though he still strongly promoted the Greek lifestyle, which was not a good turn of events for the Jews because they started to buy into the Greek culture, which was very worldly, humanistic, and ungodly. After Alexander died, Judea was ruled by a series of successors culminating in the Seleucid king, Antiochus, Antiochus Epaphanes. Saying that right? Antiochus did far more than refuse religious freedom to the Jews. Around 167 BC, he overthrew the rightful line of the priesthood and desecrated the temple, defiling it with unclean animals and a pagan altar. Antiochus' act was the religious equivalent of rape. Eventually, Jewish, Jewish resistance to Antiochus, led by Judas Maccabees, restored the rightful priest and rescued the temple. This period of Maccabean revolt was one of war, violence, and infighting. Around 63 BC, Pompey of Rome conquered Israel, putting all of Judea under control of the Caesars. This eventually led to Herod being made king of Judea by the Roman emperor and senate. This is the nation that taxed and controlled the Jews and eventually executed the Messiah on a Roman cross. Roman, Greek, and Hebrew cultures were now mixed together in Judea. During the span of the Greek and Roman occupations, two important political and religious groups we'll read about in Luke emerged in Israel. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees added to the law of Moses through oral tradition and eventually considered their own laws more important than God's laws. And the Sadducees represented the aristocrats and the wealthy. The Sadducees, who wielded power through the Sanhedrin, rejected all but the Mosaic books of the Old Testament. They refused to believe in the resurrection and were generally shadows of the Greeks whom they greatly admired. The events of the intertestamental period set the stage for Christ and had a profound impact on the Jewish people. Both Jews and pagans from other nations were becoming dissatisfied with religion. The pagans were beginning to question the validity of polytheism. Romans and Greeks were drawn from their, they drew from their, mytho, their mythologies towards the Hebrew scriptures that were now easily accessible in Greek and Latin. The Jews, however, became more despondent. Once again, they were conquered, oppressed, and polluted. Their hope was running low, and their faith was even lower. They were convinced now that the only thing that could save them in their faith was the appearance of the Messiah. Not only pe people primed and ready for Messiah, but that God was moving in other ways as well. The Romans had built the Roman roads, which would be the aid to spreading of the gospel. Everyone also understood a common language known as the Koine Greek. This was the language of the New Testament. And there was a fair amount of peace and freedom for people to travel on these roads, further aiding in the dissemination of the gospel. So this is where we're at. Okay, so we could just jump into Luke and I wouldn't read all that. But you need to understand where the people of Israel are at. They had been controlled. They had been oppressed. They had been pushed down. Their, their temples had been desecrated. They had been taxed beyond. Anybody ever been to a walk through Bethlehem? We just did one a couple weeks ago at Providence Baptist in Harrisburg. And the first thing they do is they give you a, a shekel. I believe it's a shekel. Or a dinara, excuse me. They give you a dinari that you can spend when you get to the town. And as soon as you walk through the gates, the first thing that happened, you remember? 
What happened? They yell at you and ask. What they yell, yeah, they yell at you. What else? And they ask for tests. They take, they take the coin, and so every every station you go to, whether it's the carpenter or um, the apothecary or the mason or the whatever whatever little station you go to, they already know. Hey, if you're a Jew, you don't even have money to spend here. The Jews were hardcore oppressed in ways we have never really experienced in our lifetime. This was this this was the foundational. Uh, context for this book being written for John coming uh, to this earth. So, who is Luke? Besides the guy that I named my son Lucas after. There is not much known about Luke throughout history, but we do know this, that Luke is the author of both Luke and Acts. He wrote the, better, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. We know that he was a physician and the only Gentile to write any part of the New Testament. So he's writing from a Gentile perspective, but understanding the Jewish culture. Luke was not only the author of this book, but also the, the author of Acts, thus putting him in the position as the greatest in volume author of the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books, but as far as scriptures and verses and chapters, Luke has the most in the New Testament. So he's the most significant volume writer in the New Testament. We know that he was addressing both Luke and Acts to Theophilus, the verse that, that the Holy Spirit omitted through Jim's uh, slides. Verse 3, he says he's writing to Theophilus. Um, and he wrote to Theophilus, Why? Because he wanted to give him certainty about the person and work of Jesus. And he said he was going to do it in an orderly way. Okay? Everybody follow me so far? I know it's late in the day. Everybody's like, dude, we just came here for food. <laughs> so it, it would appear that Theophilus had a basic foundational understanding of Christian truth. But that Luke was writing to him so that he could have absolute certainty about who Jesus Christ was and what he came to do. Now, Luke's gospel opens with a direct counter to claims that Christian belief is based on a blind faith. You ever heard someone say, hey, if you're going to be a Christian, you got to just take a leap of faith, man. Maybe you said it. Maybe that's maybe something you currently say. Let me be honest with you. Being a Christian is not about taking a leap of faith. Okay? Luke is writing these words inspired by God to give us an absolute certainty that, that when God says it, it's settled and it's done. It's a certain faith. It's not a, hey, take a chance on God and maybe he'll come through. That's not what Christianity is about. He was writing more than just a blind faith. At the time of this gospel being written, uh, men like Paul had already been circulating letters to believers. Luke is just simply adding a voice, adding his voice to an existing body of proof. The accounts of eyewitness and others who had firsthand knowledge of Jesus Christ is what he witnessed. Unlike Matthew, Mark, and John, Luke was not a direct witness of Jesus himself. He was a co-worker with the Apostle Paul. This would have brought him into contact with many key figures in Jesus' life. Luke's gospel is a deliberate, researched, organized, confidence-boosting record of Christ's active life. Though it's officially dedicated to Theophilus, an otherwise anonymous figure, the scholarly approach used by Luke is profitable for us as well. So, our God faithfully provides a voice, a witness. So we're going to hear about John coming later, but I want to 
give you guys an understanding that the Apostle Luke, who was Paul's companion, had been given a voice and a witness by God that he is presenting now to Theophilus that is still very profitable for us. And it's orderly. And it's given to us so that our faith can be bolstered with certainty. So if you're a skeptic, this book's for you. If you're questioning, this book's for you. If you're a skeptic or you're questioning, this book's for you. All 66 books are with absolute certainty. But this is the way that he wrote. So I want to start with two questions here. The first is, do you truly value the revealed word of God? Do you truly value it? And it's a question that like, we can kind of like say, yeah, and it's not like legalistic. I'm not trying to be dogmatic, but imagine the people that were in the 400 years of darkness, the 400 years of silence, the 400 years of the intertestamental period where they were waiting, waiting to hear about the Messiah. They've been oppressed. They've been ridiculed. They've been persecuted. Their temple had been desecrated. We don't live in that era. We're in the new covenant era. And we have the 66 books of scripture revealed to us. And so my question is, do we truly value this word? Because if we could superimpose ourselves and, and travel back in time and, and show up to the people in the silent period and say, I've got the answers. It's all right here. They'd be like, praise God. They'd probably build statues and monuments to you to deliver the word. We have the inspired word, which was inspired preserved and published on our phones, in our hands. And I'm just telling you, week in and week out, there's nothing better I can tell you to do from this pulpit than read the Word. If you don't want to read the Word, you know what you should do? Read the Word. And the more you read the Word, the more you want to read the Word. And there will be days you don't want to read the Word. And on those days, you press the play button and let it read to you. But never give yourself an out. Never give yourself a reason. Young, young people too, guys on the couch. I'm talking to you guys. You guys need to be in the Word. Because your generation is like jacked up. Like no offense. My, my generation's jacked up. I grew up on Wu-Tang. You guys are growing up on TikTok. Like for real. And it might not be you guys. You can say, hey, that's not us. We're, we're, that's not us. But 99.9% .9 of the people that you're around are being influenced by propaganda that's, that's being filtered to you from China. We're trying to dumb down our society, and this is the thing that's going to make you wise. So my question is, do you truly value it? Or do you just point at other people, oh, it's those people. No, it's us. We're called to be the salt of the earth, a city on a hill that can't be hidden. It starts with this! And it starts with me. It starts with my family. It starts with you. Fathers, husbands, leading your home. Do you value the word? Second question on this point is this. When was the last time you wrote someone a good old-fashioned letter? When your boys are in boot camp. When well, boys are in boot camp. I'm glad we gave, we gave you an opportunity to do that. Okay, you say, oh, letters are archaic. Okay. When's the last time you, you sat down with someone and just poured out for them who Jesus was? How much time do you think it took Luke to pencil or to pen the book of the Gospel of Luke? This would have been painstaking. Yeah, he's inspired by the Spirit. He's being, he's being carried along. But man, it took time. He had to be intentional and deliberate. 
And I just want to challenge everybody this week, this week, to text, to call, to sit down, to get our cake and write a letter and pencil to someone you know about what Jesus has done for you and what he's done for this world and what he can do for them. Because do you think that Luke, when he's writing to Theophilus, he would have thought 2,000 years ago, there's going to be a church called Convergence. They're going to meet in the King's Church on January 1st. and They're going to go through my letter and it's going to be a blessing. No, he didn't. He had no idea. But God used it. And we're going to go through Luke. It's going to be awesome. There's some amazing sermons in here that's going to bless you big time. Like I studied this one, bless me. But it's like God's going to use your words to bless others in profound ways that you, you can't even imagine. So take a break from TikTok, from YouTube, from Netflix, from whatever the thing is that you do, right? Maybe even reading good books or whatever, like hobbies, and just take some time this week and, and, and write, write out a letter to someone and let them know about who Jesus is. Can we do that? Okay, raise your hand if you're not going to do that. <laughs> Listen, everyone, everyone didn't raise their hands, which means everyone's going to do that. That means, Carl, I'm not going to be here next Sunday. I'm preaching in California, but Carl's going to ask, who did that this week? And if you don't raise your hand, that means you're a liar. Isn't that what that means? If you say you're going to do something, you don't do it. You're either a liar or you're working. You're not. Yeah, you're just a liar. So raise your hand if you're not going to do it. Mike, you might be the only honest one in here. All right, so listen, That's write it down, sit, put yourself a text message. This week, you are going to tell someone about Jesus through your words. Text, video, you do a video, Marco Polo, whatever you want to do. This week, okay, we, the, what's, the, what's the, the, the vision sermon, what's the vision title for the year? The other pastor knows. Anybody else know? It wasn't catchy enough, Carl. Great Commission Committed. The first part of the Great Commission is going and making disciples, telling people about Jesus. Okay? I'm gonna, so every week I'm going to try to challenge us to do that. Every week. I'm, and I'm challenging every man in this room to come back here tomorrow. We're going to learn um, what it looks like to be a man and to evangelize the lost and, and build each other up. And then next week the women are going to do that. We're going to strategize. We're going to work together. This isn't just like cute stuff, right? My wife thinks I'm cute. You guys probably don't think I'm cute. But this is like, this is Bible stuff. You need to share the gospel with people. Amen? Amen. That's how people get saved. All right. Next points are a lot shorter. Second point is this. God provides a servant. God faithfully provides a servant. In verses 5 through 7, we, we get introduced to a man named Zechariah. Um, he is a priest at the time of Herod. As we read earlier, Herod was a bad king. Uh, Zechariah was a priest of the division of Abijah. He had a wife who was from Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And the scriptures teach in verse 6 that they were righteous before God. Walking blamelessly in all the commandments. But wait. Didn't the Apostle Paul teach us that none are righteous, none are good, no, not one? Is that what Paul said? Mm -hmm. So what's the deal here? These people are righteous, they're blameless. <coughs> are they perfect? Should we be worshiping Zechariah and Elizabeth? No. But basically they were above reproach. In the same way a pastor is called to live above reproach, to be thought of well by outsiders, to not be involved in quarrel or to be a drunkard or 
someone who's got multiple wives and so on and so forth. These people also were faithful to God. When people looked at them, they were like, man, those are God's people. Zechariah was God's people. Now remember the intertestamental period. Did God speak? The silent period, did God speak? No. Do you know what Zechariah's name means? Anybody? You know? Audrina? She knows everything. Zechariah's name means God remembers. So it's interesting that God would use Zechariah to let the nation and to let the people of the earth know that I have not forgotten you. After 400 years of silence, I have not forgotten you, Zechariah. And I have not forgotten your wife. And I have not forgotten your prayers. Okay, so it says, even though these people were righteous, they were blameless, there was one stain they had on their record. What was that stain? Sin. Yes, they sinned, but verse 7 says they had no child. They had no child. Now you're saying, hey, how's that a stain? Well, in this particular time, they, they really valued kids. Unlike the society we live in today, which values abortion and death. It was a big deal for a family to have children, for a legacy, for a genealogy, for a progeny to, to, to flow down, for a man to flow his, his provision down through his children. It was a big deal. Family was like valued above travel. I just got back from Florida. It was great. Family was, was the, the pinnacle thing that you could do was to be a family man. And this man was righteous and he followed God's rules and he followed and he obeyed and yet he didn't have kids. In that particular time, we know from verse 25 that says there was reproach from the people. People looked at them and said, hey, maybe, maybe there's something we don't know about them. Assume there was some kind of sin. Um, yeah, that's what people did. When you didn't have kids. I mean, think about we're the family integrated church. We got adults. We are outnumbered by the kids in this room. <laughs> if they wanted to overthrow us, that would be a scary thing. <laughs> Seriously. Don't give me the idea. Seriously. But imagine, okay, imagine. Okay, I don't know if anyone in this room is, I don't know if we have this in this room, maybe someone listening online. Imagine someone in this room has been married for 20 years and unable to have kids. Your mind, because it's, it's, it's still tethered to this flesh suit and it's sinful, you start questioning like, man, maybe God doesn't want them to have kids. Maybe he's, a, maybe he's a bad dad. Maybe he's not a good husband. Maybe he's done something. We would do that today. But they did it back then to them as well. So although it wasn't a stain necessarily based upon what they could control, it was something that, that was in the scriptures. They were blameless. They, they, they obeyed the commandments, but... There's a but, but they had no children. They're old and advanced in years. But what I love here is the idea of faithfulness over fruitfulness. Okay? Our job is to be faithful or our job is to be fruitful. Faithful. I got a faithful. Everybody agree with him? Whoa, 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 say that again? Okay. Okay, so it's our is our job to be faithful or yes. fruitful? Faithful. faithful. They were faithful. But she had a barren womb that produced no fruit. But 
they were still faithful. Old in his age, with no kids, looked down upon by others, and he's still serving as a priest. And we need to understand that our responsibility is not to be fruitful. Look, I mean, I'm just being honest with you guys. Is it okay? Can I be honest? Okay. We're about to celebrate, I think, our seventh years of church. And there's a lot of churches that when we started aren't around anymore. Yeah, that's true. Church plants, just it's like businesses. They're a dime a dozen. They fizzle out. And so, that, so we should celebrate that. Praise God. We're going to have a family outing this year. It's going to be awesome. But there's something inside of me that was like, man, I wanted to be the church that reached thousands of people for Jesus in Charlotte and across the nations. And here we are meeting in the Boy Scout room. You understand what I'm saying? Because I'm looking at things carnally. Obedience is your job. That's it. There's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with us. Nothing wrong with this church. Praise God. Like, we're just free. You know, we're, we got to sleep in on New Year's Day. I mean, the Lord allowed that to happen. That cool. Most of y'all didn't know what to do. Lucas was up at like six. Like, like, what time are we going to church again? It's like four. He's like, I don't understand. I was like, I don't either, but we're doing it. Complicated. It is complicated. <laughs> you said like we're gonna help out the church, and I'm like, wait, what are you like? Are we gonna go to the church? Are we gonna go to our old church first or the new one for Jesus? Like, we're going to the new one. I'm like, what? You know what? We just have to be faithful. We have to be faithful and let the Lord deal with the fruit. Just like these people remain faithful. So my question from this point is, as it pertains to God. Would you consider remaining faithful to him in your life even when the desired result that you're hoping for hasn't happened yet? Even when you don't see fruit being born in your life, will you remain faithful? Next, moving into verse 8, 8, 8 through 17. Our God faithfully provides a promised prophet. Now, we don't really understand priestly duties like... <clears throat> Luke did, so I'm going to give you a little bit of explanation. Uh, in verse 8, it talks about Zechariah serving. Um, it says, in verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Okay? <clears throat> it was like a divine lottery. There was 18,000 priests that served the temple at that time. Every year, only 14 only 14 out of 18,000 were allowed to go and burn incense at the temple, at the altar of incense. So 14, at, somebody do the math real quick. 18,000 divided by 14. What does that give you? So one in a thousand, less than? Less than one in a thousand. Many of these priests, these 18,000, never had the opportunity to enter the Holy of Holies and to burn incense on the altar. And yet here he is at this exact time, at this exact place. He finds himself by the casting of Lot, the throwing of the divine lottery, that he is now the one who's chosen to go in. The altar of incense, basically the priest was taking and burning incense as a representation of his prayer for the people. Okay? Every good pastor, every Christian, every good Christian should pray for, for God's people. Right? 
We struggle with that because most of our prayers are very me-centered or even as a family, we-centered. But, but God's, the pattern of Scripture is priests were praying for God's people. And, and I, need to, I need to do better at that. Carl and I get together for elder meetings. We try to make it a regular practice of praying for the people, but just honestly, sometimes there's so much stuff on the agenda we don't. Right? we got to get better at that. But that's what his job was to do, is to go burn the incense and offer prayers for the people. And he comes in there, and what happens? All of a sudden, verse 11 says, There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah, like me and you, he was instantly troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. To see an angel would be a fearful thing. But especially we'll learn later that it was Gabriel. It wasn't just any angel, it was Gabriel. Now, I want to pause here for a second and we'll talk a little bit about the supernatural. Remember, Luke was a physician. He, he, he promised Theophilus he's going to do things in an orderly way he, and he wasted no time getting to the supernatural. Okay? And a lot of people will say, well, they'll try to explain, even Christians, and myself maybe included, we try, to, we try to explain away the supernatural. Like, you know, like... Matt Brock. Matt Brock, last week. Somebody could say it was faulty equipment instead of a miracle. Yeah, yeah if, you, if you weren't paying attention, uh, we, we put a prayer request on Scripture. One of our friends in Greenville, South Carolina, his daughter uh, had to get rushed to the emergency room because they thought she had leukemia. Her blood test came back crazy. Uh, Rusty put out the call, and a lot of churches were praying, probably thousands. I, I put it to my Love Life team, and I found out that they were praying for them in Africa. There was a prayer call. I'm getting goosebumps. Like across the world, people are praying for this little girl, Willow. <clears throat> and the results come back again and they're, everything's fine. And they say, it's just faulty equipment. And we say, that's a divine miracle by God. Amen. And, and Luke would have been, listen, like, it drives me crazy. People, people say, I believe in science. Like, okay, what do you mean by that, first off? But, but people like, almost like, hey, like, science is over here and God's over here. Like, these are, this is observable fact. And this is like some idiotic blind faith, some crutch for, you know, weak-minded people. It's like, heck no, bro. The divine creator of the universe, if, if the science is actually true, it's all from him. And most of the science is not true. It's always changing, right? Mm -hmm. Truth doesn't change. Mm -hmm. So Luke, who was a physician who was about the science, he jumps to the supernatural really quickly. Matter of fact, Luke was the only one that recorded this actually encounter. And let me tell you something also, as I was listening from R.C. Sproul, that's one of the benefits of going on a road trip. You get to listen to some really good sermons for a long period of time. R.C. Sproul reminded me, or taught me even, that the word angel is in the New Testament more than the word sin. So the Holy Spirit talks about angels more than he talks about sin. That's crazy, isn't it? You believe that, James? You might not believe this next one. He says the word angel is in the New Testament more than the word love. What? Hold on now. Someone like, might have got I'm not going to fact check Archie Sproul. If he said it, you're going to believe... Listen, we just, got through, we just got through going through 1 John. 
But he says the word angel is written more times in the New Testament than the word love. So I think the Holy Spirit's trying to teach us something about this passage that God is a supernatural God and that angels exist. They, don't, they, never, they never stopped existing also. But the angel tells him, don't be afraid because he was scared, which we would be too. And he says to him, you're going to have a son. Your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a son and you're going to name him John. In verse 14, he says, and you'll have joy and many will rejoice. Verse 15 says, he's going to be set apart for a service just like the prophet Elijah, filled with the spirit. He says, don't drink wine. Don't have him drink wine or strong drink. Okay. Does this mean that Christians can never have wine or strong drink? No. It might mean that some Christians shouldn't have wine or strong drink. But let me tell you, as somebody who didn't drink alcohol for 10 years and who lately has partaked. Maybe some of y'all didn't know that. I'm not a hero to you anymore. But let me tell you what, what wine and strong drink can do to you. It can dull you. Wine and strong drink can dull you and make you ineffective to ministry. And it could be wine or strong drink. It could be you scrolling through your phone for hours. We need to stay away from the things that are going to dull us from being intentional about proclaiming the gospel and building the kingdom. But the, his prohibition was that he's not to drink strong drink or wine because he's going to be filled with the spirit set apart for service like the prophet Elisha. And this is what he's coming to do. Verse 16 and 17. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Listen, when Jesus Christ comes and his gospel gets implanted in your heart, you know what happens next, dads? Fathers, you start loving your wives and your children. You believe that? I don't know how dads who don't have the Holy Spirit, first off, remain married or can be any kind of good dad. I don't know how they do it. I got like two kids who are in the Navy now and all these other kids are awesome. Like you guys have awesome kids. And people come to me all the time and be like, you guys did a great job. I'm like, bro, do you know who I was in 2010? I didn't care about those kids. I didn't care about her. I did as much as it benefited me, but that's about the end of it. God had turned my heart towards my family. Isn't that awesome? We want to see revival in the land. Fathers need to start loving their wives and their children. As unto the Lord. And he says, this is what John's going to do. He's coming to proclaim the way. He's clearing the path for the one who's going to make things better. The Lord Jesus. The disobedient to the wisdom of, of the just. People who are stupid like me, who can now be called wise. Why? Because I have gray hair in my beard, Adam Tennant? No, because I got the Holy Spirit who has taught me that this book of supernatural truth is real. And it's powerful. It's not just for me, it's for you. That's why I was dogmatic about us reading it. Ultimately to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, I'm going to ask you guys a question here. Um, a lot of people think, a lot of people think when, Carl and I were talking about this, um, when the angel comes to him, he says, don't be, hey, don't be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard. And some people think that he's talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer, 
right? They were barren for many years, praying for many years on their knees, probably had prayer requests out to all their missional community groups. Pray for us. We want a child. Like they were praying so much that people, it probably became sort of weird. Like, man, the Lord's not, the Lord's not hearing that prayer. Is that the prayer? Is that the prayer? Is that the prayer where he says your, your prayer has been heard? That's what I used to think until I heard R.C. Sproul teach on this. And he said, listen, what was the priest's job at the altar of incense? To pray for the people. To bless God's people, to prepare a way to make stupid people wise. He said, your prayer's been answered. Now, I do think God did, you know. He did both. I think he did both. But I think it was more about, listen, I'm going to give you a son, and it's going to be far better than just giving you a son. This is going to be the son who's going to be the, Jesus said, these are Jesus, he said, John the Baptist, the greatest prophet. And it was for the people. Like that guy was in the wilderness eating locusts, honey. Right? This is for the people. So, you can, you can, you can either or, you can both end there, but I think, I personally think it was more about him offering up the prayers for the people and God saying that through Gabriel, I'm going to bless the people through your son. How long? How long? Yeah. And certainly, you know, Zachariah and Elizabeth were blessed to have a son. But I think it was more about him paving the way for the, the promised one, the Messiah. What do you guys think? You convinced Carl? You still think? What do you think on that? I think it's consistent prayer. I don't think he's been praying for a child. He's, he's given up hope on that. But I think his consistent prayer was for the Messiah. Okay. Carl stands in agreement with R.C. Sproul. <laughs> Good guy to agree with. On that point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fourth point. Not only does God provide a promised prophet, but our God faithfully provides judgment. Okay? Uh, verse 18, after Gabriel comes to him and says, you're going to have a child. You and your wife. And what does Zechariah say? You don't know me. I'm an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. And Gabriel comes back and says, oh man, I got the wrong address. What, is, what does Gabriel come back and say? I'm Gabriel. Who stands in the presence of Who stands in the presence of God. What else does he say? I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable right, to speak. Go too far. <laughs> not, supposed, not supposed to talk in the church. <laughs> listen. He comes to him and says, you and your wife are going to have a son. Zachariah's response is, you don't know who you're talking to. I'm too old. My wife's too old. And Gabriel says, you don't know who you're talking to. I'm the angel of the Lord, sent by God himself. R.C. Sproul says this. He says, believing in God is much easier than believing God. There's a difference. Believing in God is much easier than believing God. 
If you're in this room and you're, you've been born again, you've, you've made a confession of faith, a profession of faith, to say, I believe in God. You've been justified and declared righteous. But the process of sanctification is to continually believe in God, in His character and His promises, nonstop. And so, Zechariah had a problem. He had unbelief. And the angel says to him, I'm Gabriel, consider the source. You're not just talking to some Joe Schmo off the street. I am Gabriel, sent by God, the one who stands in the presence of God, sent here to declare these things from God himself. And then he says, I'm going to silence you. I'm going to make you mute. Does anybody think that's not fair? That's totally fair. Yes. Yep. Dude, I read that and I'm like, my mind went to Abraham. Remember God went to Abraham and Sarai? And he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you a son. They were old in their years. They laughed at God. He didn't make them mute. I know God's not unfair. I know theologically that God is always fair. But I think the reason that I, I think the reason that Gabriel shut his mouth up was for two reasons. One is he wanted to judge his unbelief. Romans 1.17 says, the just shall live by Okay, so that means if you're in the faith, you've been justified. You've been, you've been justified. If you live in faith, you're justified. And Romans 14.23 says, whatever is done without faith is sin. And we know that's in regards to offering of you know, meat and idols and things like that. But I also believe the principle is true. If we live in unbelief, it's sin. And in this moment, we see that this man who early on was blameless and righteous, all of a sudden isn't blameless. His blame was that he didn't believe God. And the second reason I think he shut his mouth was a symbol. What was the intertestamental period known as? The silent years. And I think it was like an exclamation point. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to solidify the silence through this man so that when this baby comes, I'll start speaking again. And I didn't get that from Archie Sproul. My question to you is, do you believe God at his word? Do you believe God at his word? Yes. You do. Yes. Do you believe God at his word? I'll never forget in my office in 2017 when I had an office. Imagine that. I was sitting in the car one day. We were talking about Joshua. Where the passage where it says, and the sun stood still. At this point, I'm, you know, I'm listening to John Walton and I'm trying to understand, like, you know, uh, ancient Judeo, 
can't remember all the fancy terms. <laughs> like how to study and understand like types of scripture. And I was like pretty convinced like that was an, you know, anthropomorphic blah, 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 blah. Like I had all these things. And Carl was like, no, dude. I think he called me dude. He's like, if God said it, it's true. Is that what you said? More or less. You were pretty nice about it. In a southern Tennessee accent. That's God said it, it's true, bro. You got the message. Yeah, but it was like, and it hit me. I was like, man, I'm not believing God in his word. God doesn't need me to believe for the word to be true. The word's true whether I believe it or not. And so my question for you is, will you believe what is already true? Will you take God in his word? Last point. Point five. Our God faithfully fulfills his promise. We read in, in verse 24 and 25 that Elizabeth conceived and for five months she stayed hidden and she says this, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Now many of you young people in here think that me and Ryan England, because we have gray hair, we're very old. <laughs> They were twice our age. Only God can do that. And God will always deliver on his promises. His promises are always a yes and an amen. His promises will always be fulfilled 100%. Remember that John the Baptist was born to clear the way for who? The promised one. From the very beginning of time when Adam and Eve disobeyed and sin entered the world and caused destruction and chaos. God promised that he would send one to crush the head of the serpent and to restore fallen mankind back to himself. And John's going to be the one to baptize him. Guys, I need a savior. You need a savior. Everyone outside of this walls needs a savior. If we believe that, then the challenge I gave you at the beginning wouldn't be so hard. Do you believe God at his word that people who are perishing, people who don't have the Lord, who have yet to be saved, will perish for eternity in hell with the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you believe that, Hayden? Yes. Then you better be sharing the gospel with those folks. Because then the reality is, you either don't believe that people are actually headed to hell, or you don't believe that the gospel is the power of salvation. This is the only thing that can take away this. Hellfire and brimstone will not be solved through just being a nice person. Preaching a good message. Feeding people in communities. Making sure people have clothes. Those are good things. People's sin can only be taken away through the shed blood of Christ at Calvary. And in closing, in a day which many make so many resolutions, I just want you to consider how God is calling you to be faithful, to steward the grace he's given you. 
Are we great commission committed? These three are. She is. Yes. Are we great commission committed? Yes. yes. What's that thing you did? Check in all in? I'm going to botch it. If I say check in, you say all in? All in. All in. All right, check in. All in. Check in. All in. Great commission committed. Like Luke, like Paul, like John, and like Jesus, we have a message to proclaim. He is our faithful provider. He gives grace for all that we need in Christ, for our salvation, for their salvation, and by grace through His Spirit, He will do the work. Our faithful provider is with us every step of the way, working on our behalf, working in us and through us. It's going to be a challenging year. By the end of the year, I'm going to have Kaylin up here singing. Will you, will you sing, Caitlin, at some point? No. <laughs> Listen, that might be the Christmas Day miracle. She's got super nervous. Or Paige. Adam just pointed to Paige. Paige's like, we're going to go look for another church. <laughs> Listen, we're going to get outside of our comfort zone, me included. We're going to go to people that don't know Jesus. We're going to love on them. We're going to declare the gospel. And we're going to see God do the work. We're going to see him faithfully provide like he's always done. If you're here in this room and you're a Christian, somebody shared with you. And God faithfully provided salvation for you. I'm not going to be like that steward who buried that. And when he comes back, be like, I, I buried it here. I, I knew you were an angry master. And he'll look at me and say, you're, you're worthless. You didn't really receive it because if you received it, you would have shared it. That's another sermon. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. It's inspired, preserved, and published for us. I pray, God, that you would just take a morsel of the truth today, God, and you would submit it in our hearts and plant it deep, that we might actually walk this out, that we would see people come to faith in Christ through our ministry here at Convergence. And God, we just confess that it's, it's not easy. We confess that it's hard. We confess, God, that we, we like our stuff. We like our comfort. Uh, God, but we want to be found faithful like Luke, like Paul, like John, and like Jesus. We want to be found faithful. Lord, the fruit is up to you. But may we be found faithful. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.